uh, chapter 8 is where we begin our reading tonight, Matthew chapter 8 and verse uh, 28. I'll try not to replicate my mistake this morning and read Matthew chapter 7. <laughs> Matthew chapter 8 and verse 28 and reading down to the conclusion of the chapter in verse 34. Matthew 8, 28. And when he was come to the other side, into the country of the Gergesenes, there met him two possessed with devils, coming out of the tombs, exceeding fierce, so that no man might pass by that way. And behold, they cried out, saying, What have we to do with thee, Jesus, thou Son of God? Art thou come hither to torment us before the time? And there was a good way off from them, and heard of many swine feeding. So the devils besought him, saying, If thou cast us out, suffer us to go away into the herd of swine. And he said unto them, Go. And when they were come out, they went into the herd of swine, and behold, the whole herd of swine ran violently down a steep place into the sea, and perished in the waters. And they that kept them fled, and went their ways into the city, and told everything, and what was befallen to the possessed of the devils. And behold, the whole city came out to meet Jesus, and when they saw him, they besought him that he would depart out of their coasts. Shall we pray? Our gracious God and Heavenly Father, we come before you tonight very mindful of our own weakness, of our own insufficiency for such an hour as this. And so, Father, we come before thee in and through the blood of Christ, and we ask tonight, Father, that you would draw near to us by the means and presence of your Holy Spirit as we seek to draw near unto thee. And the Lord, we ask that you would give liberty tonight to the proclamation of the gospel. Lord, we are living in very dark times. We're living in times in which the God of this world has certainly blinded the minds of them who believe not. And so, Father, we ask tonight that you would illuminate anyone either here or watching online who does not know you as, your, as, as their Savior, that you would awaken their hearts and minds to the truth of the gospel tonight, that they would see that there is a battle for their eternal soul and how vital it is that we place our trust in the Lord Jesus Christ and become subjects of his salvation and redeeming grace. We pray for your children tonight that we might be heartened in the truth that, that the Lord Jesus is more powerful than any amount of devils. And that he is sovereign, not only over disease and death, but even over the devil himself. And so, Lord, we understand that we are on the victory side. We pray that you bless us in that truth tonight and encourage our souls and help us then to go from this place emboldened to challenge this, the work of Satan wherever we may see it and to do so in the power and strength of the gospel. We ask these things in Jesus' name and for his glory. Amen. Now we left the Lord Jesus last Sunday evening, as it were, with his disciples in a boat approaching the coastline of eastern Galilee. He's preparing to land in Gadara, or as it is known here, or, or called here, uh, the country of the Gergesenes. And as they make land, they are confronted by two men possessed 
of devils. Now, I can't imagine how these disciples must have felt, because these were simple fishermen, largely. Uh, they weren't, uh, you know, very complicated people in any sense. They, you know, they were just very ordinary uh, men, and they'd made that journey during the night fighting the storm as they went, uh, fearing for their lives as the Lord slept in the hull of their boat. And then, of course, the Lord stilled the storm, and all of it went eerily quiet uh, on that sea, so that they come now landing on the other side whilst it was yet dark, or perhaps it was just the first light of dawn. And they find themselves in this place that was surrounded by caves, that was really serving as tombs. And uh, for those who were not so brave, and perhaps for those who were a mite superstitious among them, this in itself would have been an unsettling experience. Even you and I don't particularly care to walk through graveyards at night, do we? You know, it's a strange thing, isn't it? We have this aversion uh, to tombs and tombstones at night time. You know, years ago we took a holiday and there was a graveyard right beside our, our campsite. And uh, I took my children up past the graveyard in the, uh, in the, at dusk, you know, it was just getting beyond daylight. And we went up past the graveyard in dusk to uh, go to a, a local site known as Kelly's, uh, as Kelly's Cave. <coughs> and on that way I was kind of spooking my kids out. You know, speaking to them in an eerie voice. It's always fun to speak your kids out. And, uh, you know, I'd say, it won't be long and we'll be at Kelly's Cave. And they'd go, oh, stop, Dad, stop. You know, and they were terrified. Well, we all have experienced a little bit of that, haven't we? Being unsettled by the thought of death surrounding us. But here come these disciples. And they come as the waves are gently rippling up against the, uh, against the shore of Galilee. They come as the light is not great, perhaps. Maybe even it's dark all together. They're wide-eyed. They're wondering what's going to come next when out of the shadows these madmen appear, screaming and shouting and howling at the night. You know, you can't... To me, when I, when I read, read this and thought about it, it kind of reminded me of your worst ghost train experience, you know. They just got through one section and now they're into another section that was even scarier than the last section. Well, Mark and Luke, as they recount this story, they focus upon one of these men in particular, one of these demoniacs whom they reveal had a legion of devils within him. He was literally invested with demons, thousands and all. But Matthew tells us that there were actually two demoniacs on the shore in that night, though the narrative likewise suggests that he is focusing primarily on the worst of the two. Now notice in verse 28 we find a demonic presence. It says, And when he was come to the other side, into the country of the Gergesenes, there met him two possessed with devils, coming out of the tombs, exceeding fierce, so that no man might pass by that way. Now notice the Bible says that these two men were possessed by devils. Literally, the Greek says they were demonized. Now, if you use that word demonized to describe someone, you're usually meaning that there is someone who's being unjustly accused or is being portrayed unjustly as wicked and threatening. So you might say, well, you're demonizing that community or you're demonizing that individual. But these men were not being maligned by Matthew and the other gospel writers. They were wicked and they were threatened 
threatening. And you know, there are many in that condition, even tonight, who are sold out to the devil, sold out to Satan, sold out to sin, and unable to help themselves. And really, they're beyond the help of most others. You know, many times, probably you have as well, I've read news stories and I've wondered whether there were actually devils at play. Have you ever read the news and thought, my goodness, only a devil could do a thing like that? Some of the horrific things that happen to young children, you say, only a devil could do a thing like that. Or some of the weird things, you know, I read a news story the other day about a woman who entered a shop completely naked and began to throw all the, all the produce around the shop and was screaming at the shop owner who had never seen her in his life before. And you think, well, what is wrong with that woman? Maybe she was under demonic influence. I heard a story this week from an individual about a man who was going to throw himself off a bridge and before he threw himself off the bridge, he first whistled down at a policewoman beneath, grabbing her attention and then lunged off the bridge. Now, sometimes I appreciate people throw themselves off bridges because they're in despair, but when one has the presence of mind to draw the attention of another so as to traumatize them in that experience, you've got to wonder, is there not a devil involved? There's a man who periodically walks through our street. Uh, he's flailing his arms. He's yelling and shouting. There's no one around with him. He just seems to be yelling at no one. He's screaming at times. And, and you see him coming and you're, you're actually fearful because he's so unpredictable. You don't know what's coming next. And so you, you tend to try and avoid him in case he lunges into an attack upon you. Maybe such a fellow is controlled of devils. Demons are real friends. Devils are real. Any missionary working in a tribal situations and animistic cultures can tell you stories of demon possession. And they, uh, they can tell you about their own encounter uh, with the demonic. But even in our own land, uh, which has now become a post-Christian nation, I fear that there's a new fixation with things occultic. And I think we shall probably see, as time goes by, and actually are already seeing, a massive increase in, in interest in things demonic. You know, even our local university, Staffordshire University, hosts a, an event once a year called Witch Fest, in which they celebrate witchcraft and every other kind of occultic activity. Uh, they just had it last month online. Uh, you know, they had this Witch Fest uh, conference or whatever they call it, and, uh, and they just had it, and they've announced next year's event already. Some of the speakers come to that are actually academics who are teaching in the universities uh, of our land. They come in as guest speakers to speak with authority upon the occult and uh, upon these kind of spiritual ideas. And already, get this, you know, already it's just one month after the event last month, two and a half thousand people have already expressed interest in next year's event. So that tell you something about where our country is? The two and a half thousand people in a matter of a few days will say that they're interested in attending an occultic event. That's a fact. And you know what else is a fact? Staffordshire University actually has its own coven of witches. Did you know that? You, you think about the various groups that may meet. Uh, you know, you obviously, you have a Christian union and other uh, type of groups 
but there's actually a coven of witches that is located at Staffordshire University. So you have these young people who will show no interest in the things of Christ because they're apparently too scientific to consider the possibility that the Bible might be true, but they have no difficulty with witchcraft and Ouija boards and tarot cards and astrology and spiritualism and Wicca and so on. And you don't have to go even very far at all around this local area and you'll see uh, many signs of paganism and witchcraft and satanism all around us displayed in, in shops you'll see uh, people have ornaments in their gardens that are idolatrous that uh, you know right throughout our neighborhood you see this thing idolatry and demonism all of those things go hand in hand and many too are caught up in the grip of drug addiction which we know from scripture is sorcery and that's a rife issue and problem in our land. And, uh, you know, you don't have to you know, watch a lot of television and you will ultimately in, uh, encounter demonism of some kind, occultism of some kind. Uh, you listen to modern music and again it is full of, uh, of references to Satan and to Satanism. The whole presence of darkness is ever looming over us. And there are many in our land who are just as hopelessly lost as these two men. And just as much in Satan's grip as these two men. And just as surely bound for hell as these two men. Now I want you to think about the characteristics of the demonic and to consider some of the things that are prevalent around us. The gospel writers together, Matthew and Mark and Luke, graphically describe the miserable condition of these two characters and in particular the man who was the worst of the two. Matthew and Mark 5 and Luke 8, uh, from those passages we can deduce the following traits in demonic activity. First of all, notice even here we read that these men were coming out of the tombs. Do you know one of the signs of demonic activity is a fixation with death? Demons love death. And again, have you noticed in our society how some people are obsessed with death? You know, there are people who festoon themselves on their clothing with skulls. There are all kinds of ornamentation of skulls, skull lamps and, and skull ornaments to put up in your home and so on. People are fascinated with darkness and with death. I think that's an indication of the God of this world and his presence upon our society. Matthew tells us they were uncontrollably aggressive. They were fierce in his words. And Mark tells us that one of the men was possessed with a supernatural strength so that he could not be held down. Again, we are into the realm of the supernatural here. I know a pastor who uh, told a story as he was a missionary in Anguilla about a man who came into a church service just like this. And he began to curse the name of Jesus and to use all kinds of profanity and vulgar language as he cursed the people and cursed the pastor and cursed the name of Christ. He took the hymn books and began to fling them around the church and, and was making a real disturbance. And the deacons began to close in on him to try and put him out of the meeting and to stop him from disrupting the service. And they got him into the corner and he was cornered. It was just him and, and three or four deacons and from a standing position this man leapt over their heads and ran out the door 
Let me tell you something, that is not within the power of a human being, naturally, from a standing position, to leap over six feet and run out a door. That's a demonic presence. Notice he's a desperate character in verse in, the, in this uh, in this passage. He's a desperate character. Uh, Luke tells us that no one uh, could tame him. That uh, you know we're, we find that he's beyond uh, any help. And so here's a man that is so wild that no man can control him. Uh, Luke again tells us that these men wore no clothes. There's a sign of demonic activity. Nudity. Loss of inhibition. And again, I think this is something we are seeing in our society. I don't know if you saw the Sentinel yesterday, but there was a man lying completely naked in our city center. Completely naked, lying as though he was sunbathing in his own back garden, lying in one of the main streets in our city, in Albion Street. Completely naked. Well, you can see this kind of thing right throughout society. The immodesty in clothing and dress. So many of our young people dressing in the flimsiest of clothes, exposing their bodies from the earliest of ages, and believe that by doing so they're somehow more attractive for it. Mark tells us that uh, one of the men was cutting himself with stones. There's a sign of demonic activity. Self-harming and self-mutilation. When a person is harming themselves, it may well be that there are demonic, demonic forces at work. You know, you think again about the things you see in our society. People who disfigure their faces with tattoos. Uh, people who um, have, have opened their earlobes to such an extent that they can put large buttons in there. Uh, people who uh, are subject to multiple piercings. We see this rise in this form of self-mutilation. Uh, people who are literally cutting themselves, scarring their own bodies. Uh, perhaps even such conditions as anorexia and bulimia may indicate some kind of demonic oppression, some kind of demonic attack upon behavior. Uh, now these, these people, these behaviors, these patterns of behavior uh, are really uh, a scene and rooted in a person who feels worthless, a person who feels like they're totally unlovable. That's what the devil would have you believe. The devil would have you believe that you're worth nothing. That you're a nobody. That nobody cares about you. That your life isn't worth the living. Those acts of, of self-destruction are as a result of personal low self-esteem. A, a, a sense of a, a loss of personal dignity. You know, Satan wants you to feel that way. He wants you to feel that you have no dignity, that you have no value. He wants you to feel worthless and devalued and hopeless. You see, God affords man dignity, but Satan, why Satan drags him into degradation. In the words of the Bible commentator Warren Wearsby, Satan robs a man of sanity and self-control, fills him with fears, robs him of the joys of home and friends, and if possible, condemns him to an eternity of judgment. This was the state of these two men whom Jesus met that night. And bear in mind that he had traversed a stormy sea to meet these men. Now, I love this. You see, it wasn't an accident that he bumped into these men. 
It wasn't by chance that he lands in Gadara and these two men come out of the tombs. You know, Jesus wasn't taken by surprise. He didn't say, oh, I wasn't expecting that to happen. No, he knew exactly where they were going. He was directing that boat all along. And so here were these men who were dangerous and destructive and undressed and desperate and degraded and disorderly. But only Jesus is a match for a man in that condition. George Whitfield, the great 18th century revivalist preacher, used to say, Jesus will take in the devil's castaways. I love that, don't you? Those that the devil has washed up and is finished with, the Lord God will take in and change. Thank God there's no such thing as a case that is too hard for the Lord. So we see here a demonic presence in verse 28. And then in Matthew chapter 8 and verse 29, we see a demonic panic. Because when these demons recognize the one who has now stepped onto their territory, notice what happens. And behold, they cried out saying, What have we to do with thee, Jesus, thy Son of God? Art thou come hither to torment us before the time? Now, one of the most powerful statements... And all of the word of God was recorded by the Apostle Paul in Romans chapter 5 and verse 20 when he said this, But where sin abounded, grace did much more abound. That's a very powerful statement. And for these men, grace is their only hope because in humanity there was no help for them. There was no hope for them. They had only one source of help and that was the Lord Jesus. Because friends, when Jesus comes in, the devil goes out. And they cried out, what have we to do with thee? In other words, what business do you have with us? Mind your own business, they said. Do you ever hear people say things like that today to you when you speak of Jesus? You know, you witness to him. You can talk to him about anything. You can talk to him about the occult and they'll be interested. Talk to him about a psychic fair and they'll be interested. Talk to him about Islam as a religion of peace. They'll be interested. Talk to him about anything at all and they'll be interested. Talk to him about Jesus. What will they say? Don't you be putting your religion down my throat. Mind your own business. Don't be giving me all of that Jesus stuff. Why don't you take off with your Jesus? I don't want to hear you pushing your religion upon me. You know, they appeal to be left alone. You know, they tell you to mind your own business. Friends, that's the old devil talking. That's what you have here. Jesus steps ashore and the devil says, What have we to do with you? Mind your own business. You're not welcome here. Hear the panic in his voice. Moved by fear, these demons within these men cried out, What have we to do with thee, Jesus, thy Son of God? Art thou come hither to torment us before the time? What a telling line this is. For it shows us that the devils have more sense than men. They recognize Jesus in the first instance as the Son of God. Now let's be clear about this. The Muslim denies that. The Jehovah's Witness denies that. The Mormon denies that. The atheist denies that. Every cultist the world over denies that Jesus is the Son of God. But the devils confess it. Why do the devils confess it? Because they have seen him in all his glory. They know who he is. They knew that he held their destiny in his hand. Notice what they said. Art thou come here to torment us? They knew that they were hell-bound. 
You know, if only the unsaved around us could see the same thing. If only men and women outside of Christ had the sense to see that the Lord has their eternal destiny in his hand and to respond in keeping with that truth. Art thou come hither, they said, to torment us before the time. You know, these devils had a better understanding of theology and eschatology than most men have. They knew their limitations. They knew that they were running out of time. You know, the devil knows his time is short. He knows his days. You know, men tend to think they'll live forever, that death is something that happens to somebody else, to a neighbor, to a relative, but not to me. But wait a minute. The devil knows better than that. The devil has his days numbered. He knows better than a man. And that's why, among other things, James writes, Thou believest there is one God, thou doest well. The devils also believe and tremble. Oh, you see, there was a demonic panic when Jesus arrived on the shore of Gadara. And then in verse 30, we see a demonic plea. And there was a good way off from them and heard of many swine feeding. So the devils besought him, saying, If I cast us out, suffer us to go away into the herd of swine. And he said unto them, Go. And when they were come out, they went into the herd of swine. And behold, the whole herd of swine ran violently down a steep place into the sea and perished in the waters. Now it seems that the the devils, the demons, prefer to be embodied, that they prefer to inhabit some physical form rather than to simply be loose as spirit beings. And rather than being dismissed directly to hell. Uh, These demons implored the Lord for this one little mercy. They said, if you uh, were going to cast us out, allow us to go into the herd of swine, to these pigs. In fact, the Greeks suggest that they begged him over and over. (coughs) That they said this several times. You see how limited Satan's power really is? He can do nothing without the consent of God. He must bow to the sovereignty of God. You know, if you were to believe what Hollywood says about the devil, you'd get the idea that the devil was the strongest force on earth. You'd get the idea that, you know, you have to work very hard to move him. That all the power rests in the hands of the demoniac, but it does not. Concerning the Christian, the Bible says, greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. You have more power within you in the presence of the Holy Spirit than the devil has. Do you realize that? A number of years ago, I had a young man come to my youth group, and he was a very disturbed young man. He began to share with me that he was involved in necromancy, speaking with the dead. He said that each night his grandmother would appear at the bottom of his bed And they would have a discussion together, he and his grandmother. Of course, it wasn't his grandmother at all. It was a familiar spirit. It was a demon that was appearing in the guise of his grandmother. His grandmother had gone into eternity, and wherever she went, she wasn't coming back. That was for sure. So this young man was speaking to this demon each night at the end of his bed. And, and, uh, you know, I was trying to help him with this. And one evening I was driving home from church. And in fact, funnily enough, Pastor Scrimcher was with me. And we were driving along and this young man was in the back of my car. And all of a sudden he cried out with the most horrid voice. And he said, you realize you've got the devil in the back of your car. 
And I looked at Pastor Scrimshaw and he looked at me and we raised our eyebrows. And I said, well, that's all right because greater is he that is in us than he that is in the world. And you know, he shut up. That was it. That was the end of the conversation. Now watch this. With one little word, the Lord defeats these demons. Look what it says. And he said unto them, go. That's it. Now, if it was Hollywood, this would be the worst movie ever, wouldn't it? There's nobody with crucifixes approaching the demoniac. Oh, there's nobody pronouncing some kind of formula to get them to go. There's no priest. Uh, there's there, none of the hocus pocus that you see in exorcisms are, are there. It's just the Lord. And he just says to them, go. Go. One word from him and he defeats the powers of hell. One word from him and he frees a man from sin. One word from him and he seals the human soul. We're reminded of the words of Martin Luther in that great hymn, A Mighty Fortress. And though this world with devils filled should threaten to undo us, we will not fear for God hath willed his truth to triumph through us. The prince of darkness grim, we tremble not at him. His rage we can endure, for lo, his doom is sure. One little word shall fell him. That's all it takes. Just for the Lord to speak. Go. And they were gone. Just like that. So why did Jesus consent to this plea? Well, I think there's a number of reasons. First of all, he shows their destructive intent. For they destroyed the pigs just as surely as they were destroying those men. Furthermore, the Lord revealed that pigs cannot even tolerate that which men tolerate. Now the liberals weep over the pigs. You may be sitting there tonight and think, that's a terrible thing, all those poor pigs dying. It's amazing, you know, we have sympathy for the pigs in the story. People get worked up about the pigs. Oh, there's these poor pigs. All thrown into the Galilee. Didn't Jesus care about the pigs? Some people can't stomach the idea that the Lord Jesus permitted their destruction, that he allowed these animals to launch themselves into the lake, and that was that. You know, they're like the Pharisee of old who had more compassion for a fallen sheep into a pit than they had for a fallen man. But this text reveals the sovereignty of Christ. He can do what he wills with anything he has created. He made those pigs. They were his. And he could do with them whatever he determined to do. You say, but pastor, he destroyed a farmer's livelihood. Well, let's think about that. If the farmer was a Jew, he had no business raising pigs. And if he was a Gentile, well, he learned that the Lord is sovereign over his business. Because even now, many a businessman will wake up in the morning rich and go to bed bankrupt. The Lord can teach you not to put your trust in riches and in possessions. So the Lord deals with these demons and he answers their plea and he permits them to enter the swine and then they, with the, the uh, pigs, are destroyed. Now look at the demonic protest in verse 33. They that kept them fled and went their ways into the city and told everything and that was befallen to the possessed of the devils. 
And behold, the whole city came out to meet Jesus. And when they saw him, they besought him that he would depart out of their coasts. Spurgeon said of this text, Here was a whole city at a prayer meeting, praying against their own blessing. Horrible was their prayer, but it was heard, and Jesus departed out of their coasts. You know, one describes uh, that verse there as, in verse 34 as one of the saddest verses in the Bible. Well, it may not be the saddest verse in the Bible, but it's certainly one of the saddest prayers in the Bible. Imagine asking Jesus to depart. Who do you think was behind that prayer? Who do you think put that idea in the heads of the man who made the appeal? Who do you think motivated them to go and, and tell Jesus to move on? Of course, the old devil was behind it, wasn't he? And yet do men even yet not do the same? You think about Felix in Acts chapter 24, and, and as Paul reasoned of temperance and righteousness, temperance and judgment to come, Felix trembled and answered, Go thy way for this time. When I have a convenient season, I will call thee. He told the Lord Jesus to go. To depart. To come back another time. And of course, the Lord may choose not to come back another time. He may just leave you and that's the end of the road for you. And it seems that was the case with Felix. There's no indication that the Lord ever spoke to Felix again. That Paul ever again approached him in the same way as before. And so it was with the people of Gadara. They told the Lord to go. It seems they were far more focused on the loss of their pigs than on and, and the, the cost to their economy than the loss of their souls and the cost to themselves. But friend, has ever been this way? As one writer puts it, the world has been refusing Jesus because it prefers pigs. You know, I thank God tonight for a Savior who is so interested in the souls of men that he would cross a stormy sea in search of the worst cases among the tombs. That he would seek out purposefully men caught in the grip and stronghold of sin, slaves to Satan in order to free them. And you know what? He still seeks out men. And it may be he's seeking out you tonight. He may be speaking to your soul tonight. He may indeed be able to release you from sin by one power, by the power of one word, by, by simply believing what he says. Your sin can be dealt with. Your demons can be gone. You can be released. You can be freed. You can have a testimony. You can have your sins forgiven. You can have heaven as your home. You can be made right with God. But maybe tonight you're saying to the Lord, Oh, go. I don't want you, Jesus. Not tonight. Maybe next week. Maybe another time. Maybe when I'm older. Maybe when I'm more ready. Maybe when I'm retired. Maybe when I'm on my deathbed. Just go for now. Well, my friends, you take that chance with the Lord Jesus. He may never come again. If he speaks to your soul tonight, you need to be seen. 
You need to bow to the Spirit and believe on Him. I, I want you to know that just as the Lord came seeking for these demoniacs on the coast of Gadara, He's come tonight even seeking after you. If you would but admit your sin and commit your heart and life to Him, He can save you by the word of His power. Come to Christ tonight. Believe on Him tonight. Acknowledge your sin. Trust in his death, his burial, his resurrection. Require from him, ask of him for eternal life. And be gloriously saved. You know, Mark tells us how one of these men, after that he was freed, wanted to follow the Lord Jesus with his disciples. And the Lord said, no, I don't want you to do that. I want you to go home. And I want you to tell your friends what great things the Lord hath done for thee and how he hath had compassion on thee. And you know, that could be your story tonight. You could leave this place and go home to your friends and say, you'll never guess. You'll never believe what happened to me tonight. I went down to that Baptist church in Mellow Street and I heard how the Lord Jesus came seeking for me. I put my trust in him and he did great and wonderful things for my soul and showed compassion upon me. Make that your testimony this evening, and God will bless you for it. Shall we pray? Father, we thank you tonight for your word. We thank you tonight that the Lord Jesus is victor over sin, over death, over hell. That the demons, all the demons, have no means or resources with which they may dethrone him. For he is king of kings and lord of lords. He is sovereign over all. Help us tonight to see, Lord, if we're ever going to be saved, if we're ever going to be freed from our sin, that he's our only hope and help. And yet he comes seeking for us. He comes appealing for our souls. He comes reaching out to us, determined by his grace that we might be one. Father, I pray tonight if there's anyone in this meeting or anyone following online, who doesn't know thee as Savior, that they would not replicate the error of the people of Gadara and tell the Spirit to go. Tell the Lord Jesus to leave them alone. Tell him to mind his own business. Father, help them tonight instead to yield to his will for their lives, to be gloriously saved, and to know the power of the gospel in person. Bless we pray for Jesus' sake, and for his glory. Amen. 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 We're going to sing, My heart is filled with